Hi there. Welcome to Everything Accordion, a podcast about the musical box known around the world as the Accordion. My name is Gennady Rotaria, and I will be your host on the show. On this podcast, you will hear a bit about the instrument's history, the different types of instruments of its very extended family, stories from and about accordionists, stories about contemporary music and historical works of its repertoire, discussions with colleagues from all over the world, interviews with prominent musicians, and much more. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, the first accordionist up until today that I have on the podcast that I didn't know personally, but I remember listening to some of his recordings early on when I was a student, and I was completely astonished and mesmerized by some of the works that I've heard and by the musicality and the soul put in. He is an amazing musician, a great accordionist and innovator. He's also a professor at the Academy of Music in Oslo. He also teaches at the Royal Danish Academy of Music in Copenhagen. And it's my great pleasure to have Andreas Borgor today on the podcast. Hi, Andreas. How are you Hello. doing? And thanks for being here. Hi, and thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm very pleased to, to join in, and thanks for your very kind introduction. The pleasure is all mine. Everything I've said in the introduction is all true. I remember uh, looking for a coordinist who did something that was different from what I've heard up until that, that point, which being born and raised in one of the ex-Soviet Union countries, you would have the kind of repertoire that was in fashion about 50, 60 years ago. Mm. So when I've heard it completely blow, blew me away at that point. So uh, yeah, I would like to ask you, how, how did you start and why the accordion? How did, how did this journey happen? Well, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's of course a good question. It's, uh, it's com completely a coincidence, really. I grew up in in Denmark in a sort of suburb town to Copenhagen called Elrød, and in in that area or in that city there was this uh, local music school where there was a very good and um, very sort of industrious uh, teacher of the accordion. He was really he devoted his life to to develop the instrument in the classical music world and especially focusing on making it possible for kids to start playing with free bass from a very early age and introducing contemporary music to you know us music school kids when we were just very young so what happened was that <laughs> there, there was a lot of kids playing the accordion in, well not a lot as in you know pianists or guitarists but mm -hmm. i guess compared to other parts of the country so in my kindergarten this girl had started playing and one afternoon when I was <clears throat> sorry I was at her place I got to try the instrument that she had just got from the music school like this tiny little kids box and I, I don't remember maybe I was you know they pointed on which buttons I should press to play the first three notes of some random kids tune and I don't know I thought that was fun mm -hmm. so um, a bit later when my parents suggested me and my older brother that you know why if, didn't we start playing some music or if, if we wanted to to play an instrument then i immediately said well i'd like to play the accordion mm -hmm. and so it happened so i was like yeah a bit more than five years five five and a half i guess like, that's okay. important when you're five <laughs> it's not important <laughs> now but at that time point five and a half <laughs> yeah it's all one of those you know moments of decisions like it's not five years it's a little bit more like I was more mature at five exactly. and a half <laughs> yeah 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 wow. so so that's it basically mm -hmm. no basically like that, that's quite a story I mean having a friend introduce you to or whoever introduced you at that age to the instrument you know in my case we didn't have free spaces in the piano class at the music school so that's how I ended up playing accordion yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things that you, you you think back and you're like was it meant to be or was it it's just a whole big mistake that i'm here but 
Uh. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's not a mistake that you were here, but but yeah, it's it's um, I mean, it's just so many coincidences and chances, and you know, I I could she could have just as well not started the accordion, or maybe if my parents had asked me later and I had encountered what do I know a saxophone in in the meantime, then maybe I would have said I want to play the saxophone, but luck. Well, I feel lucky today that it it didn't ha happen, and and it was the accordion that I sort of got drawn to at that point. Mm -hmm. And did you feel immediately that that's something uh, with your wisdom at five and a half that you wanted to do <laughs> in, in your life? Uh, or there, there was another dream? And at, at what point did the accordion become your career choice? Uh, very, very late, I would say. I'm a late bloomer. Um, it's, uh, I, I was very much in doubt. And I think basically it was, you know, that I handed in my application for the, for the Academy of Music in Copenhagen on the day of the deadline. Uh, like our, it, back then it was physical paper mail. Oh yeah, <laughs> right, right. Put it in the, in the mailbox of the Academy. Um, no, I was very hesitant to pursue a musical career. It's probably especially because it wasn't very clear to me you know what i what could it become as an accordionist right and um mm -hmm. yeah and I, I had a lot of fun doing other stuff as well for instance in high school i was i was fond of math and chemistry and lots of other subjects it, it's not like i was this only music type of person mm -hmm. um but but at the same time i was very interested in playing the accordion and i I mean, yeah, I, I kind of realized that I was talented somehow. So the thought had sort of struck me, should this be something I would, you know, should I apply for the, the big scary academy? Um, mm -hmm. But then, you know, the other, the, the, I don't know if that's the angel or the devil on my shoulder, but the other one at least would then say, oh, but think about, you know, what's your work, what's your work life going to be in the future? And, you know, what is, what is your ambition? Do you want to, you know, are you going to make any money? Are you going to be able to make a career out of it and all, and all these things? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then I think I, I, I started taking some private lessons with James Crabb um, already before I applied. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily, he was, uh, he came a couple of times to the local music school where I, I grew up um, to, to give a masterclass. Mm -hmm. Because my my the old music teacher at the musical was good friends with Mogens Elegard. Um, oh, like okay. The, or I should say it in Danish, Mogens Elegard. Um, so that's useful because I always had Mogens Elegard. So like yeah. pronouncing all of the letters. I know, but this uh, the the guard is actually just go, so it's a bit boring. Um, no, that's means... that's a very <laughs> interesting thing for me to learn. So I've learned something today. <laughs> yeah, and it even means farm, I can tell you. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so so there was this link to the Academy in Copenhagen from, from the music school. Um, Moans had also been up and, and done a couple of masterclasses. Uh, and then James came up and did it. And, and he was very kind to sort of suggest that, you know, if I, I wanted to have another lesson, I could call him. And yeah, and then I, I kind of started taking lessons every now and again with him, mm -hmm. which also helped sort of uh, lead my thoughts into whether I should uh, apply or not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, I, I don't think actually, it wasn't till, you know, halfway through my undergrads that I felt, okay, this is, this is what I what I'm doing. <laughs> sure. I, I even, you know, I, I took some courses in something completely different at the university as well at some point. I, I just really was very yeah, ambivalent about it. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's because I've been talking to some of the colleagues, and I think like with the accordion, we are talking about when you applied, it was, which year was it? 2000 yeah. something? Okay. 2001 I, think, I started. Okay. Well, because in 2001, I actually, I think I started playing accordion in 2001. 
<laughs> and it yeah. was yeah it was that moment when we, we didn't have anyone like any place in the piano class yeah. uh, but anyway I, I think you know with accordion it's also the fact that we've seen a great increase in accordionists who become concert performers over the past I think 10 years at most because mm. before that we didn't have like there were these role models which were more like legends and myths which were there mm -hmm. and they were kind of the pillars of mm. our accordion world but they were those like five six ten people that you knew and perhaps this sense of inability to reach those mm. pillars and legend perhaps that was a little bit demotivating and perhaps also the fact that i don't know about the royal danish uh, academy of music but overall i see a tendency of not talking about what kind of career options are there for musicians also because mm. it's a very versatile career path uh even if you choose to be a concert performer you can also teach you can also do recordings for whatever, television shows, and but yeah. somehow we're indoctrinated to be only that concert performer that goes and plays thousands of concerts. What do you think about this? Well, I, I think it's probably partly true. Certainly, there was not a lot of, of sort of obvious role models when I was considering to go the, the music way or not. Um, I mean, there was the two professors in, in Copenhagen at the time, James Crabbe, who I started with, and Guy Drauxwell, who is now the professor. Um, and I mean, I remember thinking, well, at least at least there are two people who can manage, <laughs> you know, at least they do it. You know, they, they make it work. They have a concert career. They sort of establish families. They have a life, you know, mm -hmm. um, maybe I hadn't probably I had no idea how busy they were or, you know, what kind of you know, how, how they put their life and careers together. Um, but there was this, I think if, if that wasn't clear to me that they were actually performing, then then I probably wouldn't have, have applied, I think. So, mm. so the fact that, as you say, that now there is probably also with, you know, the revolution of, of internet and digital and um, social media, there's so much more exposure to the variety of possibilities with like with everything basically but especially of course with the accordion and also even though the instrument 20 years ago was already established in the classical music scene it's still not very old in that sense you know in Copenhagen it didn't start at the academy till 1970 I think okay. and and I think the last 20 years has also improved that a lot you know the instrument has been just flourishing in in new music but also in yeah, it, in various times in, in more popular music, there's been the tango revolution in a way, you know, and and it seems like a lot of performers are doing a lot of different things rather than being sort of um, pursuing the the more classical or contemporary classical only uh, mm -hmm. direction, you know, play, playing all the scores that, that we know from the last 50 years. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, you know, if, if that's also if that's the the feeling that you've had when you know when you started, then I think that's a super positive development, and and hopefully, hopefully the community will will grow. And I'm, you know, I think it's it's fantastic that you you make this podcast as well to to just you know share the information and and bring us all together somehow. Right? We we haven't met before, but but now we meet online, um, unfortunately. But I'm sure we'll meet in person at some point. And it's just, you know, the more we can, the more we know about what's happening, the more inspired we all become. And the more we, yeah, the more accordion. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why it's called Everything Accordion. I mean, yep. the, the, the entire idea of this podcast was, I was like during the pandemic, I, I looked around and I saw so many great colleagues that were doing super interesting stuff, but nobody, Kind of knows about it until mm. you maybe talk or kind of interact with them you have quarter tone experimentations you have 
something that you are doing with your research at the, um, in Oslo, mm. which we will talk ab about briefly. And, you know, there's really lots and lots and lots and lots happening. And unless you actually go and search the information, which you cannot always find, but it's also really great to hear from the person, him or herself, mm. about these experiences, about what their interests are. And I find it really personal and really personal feeling and touch when, when you actually get to know the why behind mm -hmm. an accordionist. Like, how did they start? Why did they start? Why do yeah. they keep on going? Um, because it's not, you know, I, like I wouldn't imagine many people coming into a music school like I have here in Austria and they choose immediately accordion. Mm. They would go piano, drum set, whatever, yeah. marimbas, because it's fun to... Yeah, you know, kick stuff around and uh, yeah, but not the accordion. So it's always really interesting for me. So you applied to the Royal Danish Academy of Music. You did your bachelor's, you did your master's, and then you continued. You also did, I think, a post postgraduate, right? Yeah, I did the, um, uh, the it's called the soloist class. Um, mm -hmm. But it is this postgraduate performance degree. Okay, which it's is kind of like this concert examen that we have in uh, in Germany. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Mm -hmm. um, and that's normally two years. And then after one year, I went to London for a year. Um, so I took a leave from Copenhagen. Okay. And I went to London to study at the um, uh, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. And then I got back, took the second year of of the two-year thing in Copenhagen and then I you finish that off with a yeah this uh, concert examine kind of thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um, now you're also enrolled in a PhD program which is really not that common among accordionists I think uh, there are really not that many institutions that offer such a degree for accordionists I know there's one in Toronto in Canada there's one in Helsinki uh, which is very competitive and it's really almost impossible to get in. I think it's something the Royal Academy of Music in London, but with the Brexit and all, it's a little bit tricky yeah. uh, to, to yeah. get inside and actually stay inside. <laughs> and yeah, would you like to talk a bit about this? Why did you choose to go on and do a PhD and about your research? Of course, yeah. Um, well, the... The thing is, in uh, the the program in Norway, the the PhD uh, in artistic research is maybe it's rare that you can do it uh, with the accordion. But I guess in in recent years, it, more and more institutions across the world offer uh, PhDs in artistic research. Not let's say just in uh, mm -hmm. I don't mean just, but you know. Uh, when in the podcast, people can't see I'm doing this with my fingers. But <laughs> quote on the quote. Just. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, but I mean, that, but it's not a scientific degree, but one that focuses on, it's like a practice-based mm -hmm. research. And you can do this a number of places um, in Europe and, and as you say, probably also in the States and, and Canada. The Norwegian program still is rather unique in the way that it focuses tremendously on the artistic practice as the, the very core of the work. So that means that the, the research, it is the, the artistic creation or the artistic work that is, you know, the research and it's the artistic result that is what you produce. It's not actually there is no, at least on the uh, on the Music Academy in Oslo, there is no official requirements of writing anything. Like you don't oh. have to write a thesis in text. You have to deliver a, a significant artistic result. And mm -hmm. of course, then you have to deliver a critical reflection in which you unfold your process and you sort of make it possible for other people to understand what is it that you, mm -hmm. what kind of knowledge did you get, uh, get to through this artistic work. Okay. But the, you know, you don't have to write, you can make, you could make a podcast or you could make a film or you could make a dance or you could even make, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, the opportunities are endless, but obviously, since you have to discuss this with a panel uh, and, and, and an assessment committee afterwards, most people, I think, including myself, is going to produce something in writing. 
So this was maybe a long talk, but just to say that that's sort of the framework of the of the Norwegian program. And it's only in recent years that that it's been turned into an official PhD, but they've had these types of three years or uh, three year um, research fellowships mm -hmm. for, okay. I think, 15 years and oh. uh, in all the art forms, mm -hmm. except maybe uh, writing like, you know, um, fictional writing. Okay. But actors, dance, uh, film, uh, visual arts, music, all this, you, you could apply for, for these three years. Uh, and I did apply a couple of times, you know, back in 2014 and 16, I think, but I didn't get in. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I applied is that it's, it's a, you get three years to develop and work with your own project and it's a, it's a paid position. So, so that's very, okay. you know, um, mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's very fantastic, actually. Yeah, it is. Anyway, it is. I didn't get in. And then I was like, wow, OK, maybe that's not for me. I, I sort of forgot about it. Um, but then I got the job as um, as teaching. Uh, it's called the university lecturer, actually, uh, mm -hmm. this, this teaching position. And my department leader was like, yeah, I remember you applied. That was a pity you didn't uh, get in. And that was a very interesting project and yada, yada. And, you know, I, well, not yada. He was he was um, honest about it. And I thought, well, maybe I should just try and apply again, you know, because <laughs> now I'm from the inside. Like... <laughs> well, yeah, not, there's, there really isn't no insiding there. But I just that I learned because I didn't. Just the fact that I, you know, I was encouraged um, somehow by his mm -hmm. his uh, remark, and I thought, well, now it's also turning into an official PhD. I'll give it another shot. The reason why I stopped applying before was also that I I already sort of realized the projects that I wanted to include at that time, and I thought, well, okay. I've now I've not done the project that I wanted to do, and you know, what's the point? Yeah, um, I understand. But then I I kind of uh, flipped the pile around and I started really contemplating what what kind of project could I put together to apply for this new one and then I was super lucky to get in. Congratulations. Oh, that's well, really amazing because I, I think not many know in general, I'm not talking about accordionists, but in general about artists, about this program, because I applied in Helsinki twice mm. and I didn't get in. Yeah, I applied once to Toronto, but then uh, for some reason, I think some timetable clashes, I didn't go for the audition. So automatically I didn't get in. And then I applied once again and then the pandemic hit. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was really not sure about moving to Canada uh, because it's it's a very big step going to a completely different continent where you don't know anyone and you don't have any sort of sphere of, of contacts there so it's again starting from zero going there for five years five um, years oh my god yeah it's yeah. if i'm not mistaken it's a five years problem uh, same as in helsinki i might be mistaken but i, I it, it was a very long period so sure. that, that's kind of something that put me off because mm. i thought being away from because you know being in the um, where i'm based in the middle like the center of europe it's very easy to move around yeah place so leaving this place for four years would yeah. mean losing a lot of connections yeah. and networking and so yeah yeah I, I had to consider quite a lot and then in the end i uh, i got a job at the music school i did some of my projects pandemic hit and here we are talking about all of this in the yes. podcast yeah. <laughs> long Very story nice. short um andres what is your research yes well my project's called just do it exploring the musician's use of bodily performance Mm. Um, it's still a working title. I might have to change it because of the content, or maybe Nike will sue me if I don't. Yeah, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> they, if they see your dissertation, we're going to be like, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Body uh, movement, that's us. Yeah, maybe I can get a sponsorship. Who knows? Uh, you could try. <laughs> um, no, but it's, um, it is an, a sort of, in, in brief uh, description, it's, it's an exploration of the challenges that we meet as instrumental performers 
or instrumentalists, having you know studied in both of your and my case accordion uh, for for a row of years. What happens when we suddenly have to do other things than playing the instrument? Things that we have not studied, things that are not part of a standard, you know, uh, academy or university curriculum, things that are in the realm of like cross aesthetics and leaning into theater or dance or performance art. This whole, let's say, area also labeled the new discipline. And yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to basically figure out what, what does that mean? What type, what kind of skills do you need <laughs> to, to engage with this new type of extra musical performance? Mm-hmm. Um, what can we learn from, you know, the art forms that have been dealing with the body on stage for centuries, such as, of course, acting and, uh, and dancing and all this? Are there any, anything from their methodologies that, that connect with the methods that we have as musicians and instrumentalists? So what kinds of, you know, the, the expertise that we already have, how can mm-hmm. that be expanded or augmented into the extra musical realm um, mm-hmm. because the point is not that we should all now also study acting and dancing and you know be all of these things at the same time yeah. it's from the musician's viewpoint mm-hmm. uh, and trying to both ex- really detailed and rigorously explain how do you deal with this what is it what are the challenges how does it feel on your body that you su- suddenly have to perform without the instrument that you're used to performing with Mm-hmm. And then also very practical stuff like what what is it that hin- hinders you in the practice room? What really is difficult? Um, and of course, more philosophical or let's say, um, yeah, sort of more broadly aesthetic considerations and trying to contextualize this type of performance in in uh, theoretical discourse from perhaps performance art or yeah mm-hmm. or embodied cognition and philosophy. Wow, no, that's it's a really great topic. And I think it's something that, you know, if you talk to people from all areas, you can go on for hours and days and months discussing these things. Yeah. Because what I find really interesting and uh, the way that, you know, it's not something that our teachers or professors now, I, hopefully it's starting a little bit more with the new generations, mm. uh, talking about, how we use the body because we are like our first instrument is our body and that's the instrument that we you well we don't use but that's we how can i put it again here's the question of who's in the driver's seat is it us is it our mind is it the body like who is in charge who is mm. controlling and again how do we address the the physicality of actually you know sitting there and using all of those hundreds of muscles in micro movements mm. so as not to get like it's a huge complicated complex machine that we are using i don't like the word using we need to find another word but we are that uh, we are that we are that we are exactly <laughs> And that we are applying towards doing an action like playing a musical instrument and playing mm. it on stage. Mm. Um, so yeah, and as part of your research process, I guess that's when it happened. But you also collaborated with some composers like Simon Stein Andersen, Jennifer Walsh. I've also listened to your recent performance for the Borealis Festival, which was amazing. And I also listened to um, to the interview that you did with. The, I think it was the artistic director and the, um, the composers. And the composers. Yeah, yeah. And one thing struck me, which before we move towards the composers, mm-hmm. uh, you were saying I really loved both pieces, but I found so personal the, the, the piece, if I'm not wrong, it's called my favorite piece is the Goldberg Variations. Because to me, that was the closest thing you might have to a musical autobiography ever mm-hmm. uh, and the second thing for the listeners Andres is there some way to see it again is it not still online or is it a way no it, you can as of yet I have it on my Vimeo page oh okay so... uh, and I'm just going to embed it in my website as well so I, actually I I haven't completely cleared that with 
the, um, the publisher of the sheet, you know, like of the piece okay. as such, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know, maybe it'll be off, but at the moment it's on. So well, <laughs> go and so, watch it, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, go on to Andreas's Vimeo page and listen to the work. It's amazing and his performance is incredible. And it's something that you, you I think up until now, you will never see an accordionist do before and now. So it's really great, go and see it. And something that I found really amazing, what you said about dissociating yourself, right? Mm. Because when you are on stage and you are engaged in performing, playing the instrument, also reciting something, like where, where are you in mm. there? So kind of dissociating yourself from all of the physicality and I don't know, Probably yeah. it's because we we are used to kind of address ourselves as two separate entities, like the body and the mind. Yeah. Well, that, that's a that's a that's a good old tradition back from, I guess, Descartes. Uh, you know, the separation of body and mind, and lots of more recent both philosophy, but also like neuroscience, have kind of proven that you cannot obviously, and of course, and if you think about it. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to, to try, but you can't separate body and mind, of course. So also people start, you know, talk about the body mind um, mm. because it is one thing. And, and, you know, without us having to go down that alley, if you also just, which I've done a couple of times lately, and it's never ceases to amaze me, think about how little that we actually are aware. I mean, our conscience, how little we know about what's happening within us and around us like it's sort of five percent of our brain activity which is the conscious part mm -hmm. and then it, it just leaves us to in a place where it feels kind of absurd to think that we are controlling very much but anyway that's fascinating we'll talk about that another time um yeah. in terms <laughs> on of a different podcast on a different podcast called neuroscience uh, everything yeah. <laughs> um in terms of performing, I think what I what I aimed at specifically in that uh, interview, because it was mainly related to my favorite pieces, the Goldberg Variations, was speaking the text, you know, without uh, revealing too much, because this is also sort of in the program note of the piece. All the words in the text are directly taken from interviews with my mum. Mm -hmm. Not interviews that I made, but interviews that the author of the, uh, the sort of libretto, you can say, Ted Huffman, did with my mm -hmm. mother. So I'm essentially speaking the words of my mum. And in the beginning, when I got the text and I started to, you know, um, read it and learn it, it was very easily done that I would emotionally, of course, sort of relate to it. And... I remember that time and time again on the workshops we had, uh, the composer and the, the writer and me, which was also on Zoom, unfortunately, what Ted kept saying to me was that, you know, don't emote, don't engage with the content of the text in that sense, keep the distance to it, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is pretty it's really hard to do because it's your it's, mom and it's, it's you. very hard it's it's my mom's word and especially you know there's this movement about my father's death which is of course like just going straight into my heart every time i read it um so i really had to work quite technically on establishing that distance which had to do uh, very much by keeping a strong support in the diaphragm and sort of keeping a long phrasing in the text uh, and keeping like an, a level of energy which is quite high and, and mm -hmm. far far away from the more let's say uh, film acting uh, intimacy where you, you can you know you speak exactly what you feel then mm -hmm. this was much more distancing myself from what I would feel in the text and then telling it as a, this kind of storyteller Mm -hmm. So that became that became the character of the piece that we sort of landed on, that it's a storytelling piece. It's like I'm the troubadour and I'm kind mm -hmm. of telling this story to an audience, but I'm just I just happen to use, you know, the words of of the person in, in question here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really felt like 
you were telling a story and you know uh, I, I was really impressed by how you managed to keep focused and at the same time as, as you're saying this longer phrases but I didn't lose myself there I was really with you all the time while you were telling this story so oh, nice. really congratulations on that I think the, thank you very much your goal was achieved fully so yeah and these are the two pieces which uh, on which you collaborated as part of your research and we like to talk about Jennifer Walsh's piece and also the asthma. Sure. So those two are actually not part of the PhD. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so I understood everything. Okay. Cancel. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It does, but they very much led up to the PhD. The the two pieces by Jennifer Walsh and Simonstein Anderson, they were actually a result of you know the project I applied with previously to the Norwegian okay. uh, program didn't get in. And then I thought like, okay, what the heck I'm going to, I really want to do this project anyway. And now I have the connection with the composers. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, establish the project as a concert project. So I did the project, which I've called um, solo act uh, in lack of a better name, but it's very much what it is. It was three commissioned pieces, Jennifer mm -hmm. Walsh, uh, the piece is called self care. Simonstein Andersen, uh, Asthma, that you mentioned, and then another Danish composer, Nils Rønsholt, who wrote a piece called Until Nothing Left. And mm -hmm. so I combined these three pieces, either all three of them in a sort of longer concert of two halves, or two of them into a one-set concert. And I think, had it not been particularly, maybe all of them, but I remember especially one of the workshops I had with Jennifer Walsh, rehearsing her piece before the premiere. I, after that, I was like, something, you know, something clicked, something fell in place in my brain with this whole performative uh, music. And I, I thought this is, this is really interesting. There are so many similarities to how I would work with the music alone, like mm -hmm. playing burial or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and to how I would use my body on stage just when and at that time it was basically thinking of you know i wouldn't say simple thing but fundamental things like tension and timing uh, you know building up mm -hmm. tension and the release of it uh, um, uh, impulses to react on mm -hmm. ways of keeping energy ways of sort of reaching uh, the end or, or the, you know, towards the next section, combining things without dropping the, the flow, all these things. I, I sort of realized this is, at least in that, that case, this is, this is the same way of working. Um, and I, I was kind mm -hmm. of thrilled and I thought this is, this is something I want to explore more. And then, then when I decided to apply for the, the PhD, this, this was the obvious choice to, to go really sure. in depth that. Mm -hmm. Um, but and I, yeah. for, for, for the listeners who don't know Jennifer Walsh's piece, it's very physical. Like I think, Andreas, you had to learn some uh, some yoga positions for the piece. <laughs> yes. So for all the coordinators who would like to give it a shot, you might need some time to go to a yoga class before. <laughs> yes. But but also check it out. I, I think it's also on your channel, right? Yeah, and it's on it's on YouTube on oh, Jennifer great. Walsh's okay. channel, and it, mm -hmm. but I've embedded it on my website as well. So perfect. So head on, and you, you'll see really amazing things, which you know, not I don't know any other accordionist that does that. Like at this moment, maybe you know, but I haven't seen anybody yet. I've been interested in the use, well, mainly of the voice and recitation, kind of having a role while yeah, yeah. performing. So this piece was born uh, in collaboration with Matthew Shlomowitz, yeah. this Australian-UK composer, yeah. um, wrote a piece which unfortunately still didn't get premiered because of various reasons, uh, venues, people uh -huh. who didn't want to program it, pandemic, uh -huh. but uh, hopefully we'll make now a video of it here in oh, Austria. Great. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Sure, and me too. again, it's it's kind of like it's this lecture in which you you kind of need to have different roles. In one role, you need to be this, this serious person that performs, shows 
things on the accordion, but also delivers this lecture without getting lost, and also this tension mm. energy there, which is where well, I found it really difficult also because like normal songs, I would see accordionists from my home country. Yeah. Like they would play whatever super crazy things and they would also sing at the same time. They might not be able to read music mm -mm. From, from, from a sheet, but they do all of these things. And I'm amazed because like hard as I may try, I need really time to sit and practice and kind of uh, understand what goes where. Like yeah. when do I start with the breathing, the voice, the words, mm. and the music. So it's really a completely different process for us yeah. classically trained musicians. Yeah, and I think also there's the, um, at, well, there's two sides to it because one thing could be, but I'm not sure, one thing could be that this, the type of playing and singing that you mentioned, it's, it's, I guess it's not uncommon that the music is accompanying the song so that they are really sort of linked together mm -hmm. on a on a fundamental musical uh, structure somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, whereas when you have to recite something, when you have to sort of deliver a text and play something completely different at the same time, that's where the multitasking kicks in, which is really just a good old fashioned mindfuck. You know, it's, yeah. it's so difficult. Um, and I, I found, and that's maybe where the classical training uh, sort of reveals itself somehow, at least in my case, I've, I've always been encouraged to, or let's say forced to, <laughs> or that it's sort of my way of working now as well. And, and what I, I'm sure my, my students will um, tell you likewise, that I, I want to combine the, the sound with a singing voice always, you know, really grounded in how I would sing the sound and mm -hmm. how I would shape that. So when I play the accordion, my aim is, it's not always, it doesn't always succeed all the time, but, you know, um, try to really connect with, uh, with my own vocal, let's say, ability somehow. Mm -hmm. But that means that my diaphragm is already in a way occupied by making my accordion sound and then having mm, to speak something okay. else with the same diaphragm is kind of, you know, there's really a conflict there. Yeah, because like in my mind, you need to automate something. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you cannot, I don't, I think it was my professor Corrado Royas from Trieste who said like our mind, even if you are playing like both staves and think like in a fugue of mm. both things you cannot really think at the same time of both things like no. your mind refocuses all the time on something that you want to point out or bring forward or mm. um sure. focus on yeah otherwise like it, it's really not and then as you are saying it's a complete mindfuck when you're trying to connect like the two things which are uh by definition in contrast with one another yeah right? but i think it's it, it's just like um, you know, when we started learning the accordionist kits, but also now when you when you approach a very complex score, you start by learning one hand and then the other, and then you put them together, right? And um, this is this is just a third uh, player in that game that you have to incorporate. So mm -hmm. it, it really is slowly adding this extra layer and and as you said, automatizing it um, or kind of yeah, uh, linking linking it. To each other in a, in a meaningful way so that you don't uh, work against yourself mm -hmm. and and just like just like we can seemingly you know pull out uh, one voice in polyphony which is you know it's, it's quite impressive really mm -hmm. when we have only this one bellows so the same way you can also focus on different things, although you play and speak or sing at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it's it, my experience, in my experience, it, it just takes a lot of time and it's really frustrating at the beginning. But I think, I think it's something you, you know, you learn, you actually acquire a skill, which you can then much more easily use late, later. I've, it's kind of for fun tried when I had, I had a rehearsal with, with a group the other day and 
I just try it for fun. Is it, you know, can I, can I say something while I'm playing, you know, mm -hmm. just to see where, where is it at now? Because before I did this Goldberg piece, it was absolutely impossible. You know, the minute I started to suggest something, I would just like uh, either follow the, the exact rhythm of what I was playing, or I would yeah. just stop playing because I couldn't. Or you say something and in the meantime, some, you, you play something completely wrong. Like, on the absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. <laughs> wow. No, it's it's really like one of those things that you you know you might think that experimentation has to do with the instrument and the way you play the instrument, but actually, like I think with the accordion, what we call like what you were saying also in the interview for the Borealis Festival, like the, the extended techniques for us accordionists nowadays are normal techniques like there's really not one thing that you might say oh wow i, I never did that before hmm. like and um the experimentation starts okay we acquired this palette of tools and techniques that we can use now how do we use them hmm. and i think the experimentation here starts with ourselves like us as the, the ones who deliver the techniques at the same time combining something from ourselves like it can be recitation it can be singing it can be i don't know uh tip tap dancing i don't know like <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever you know but something that has uh has to do not only with the instrument but with your with yourself as a as a human mm -hmm. being and as a person um so yeah andreas how do you see the level of the accordionist like when you were a student and how is the level today? I'm sure that the level is is higher now than it was at, a, at like generally, because I think that's just the um, that's that's the development in all instruments, you know. And with uh, especially with the improved connection and knowledge that everyone has about what's happening, and with of course with with the recording industry and the number of accordion repertoire or uh, albums that are released and you know you mm -hmm. can listen to so much and you can listen to so much fantastically well produced recordings that yeah. just it, that just pushes the level you know yeah definitely andres how did you stay fit in the pandemic and has it affected your motivation to now now that everything is opening up right now that we're slowly well some slowly, some not so slowly. I saw that you have lots of dates coming up. Um, for some reason, my summer, like not to brag, but for some reason, my summer also got full of dates, which I'm very happy about. Fantastic. But after one year of being not very active, you need to redevelop the stamina to actually mm. like kind of pull through entire recitals. So how, how did you stay motivated during that period? Well, I've been tremendously lucky to have uh, the PhD project um, and to actually be, which is for the first time in my life, I've, I've had this f f like full time job, <laughs> which is the, the PhD position um, or fellowship. And so I've actually had lots of things to work on. They haven't all been related to playing the accordion. But then like last spring, the lockdown there, I spent a lot of time writing kind of an essay slash article um, mm -hmm. about actually the, the Jennifer Walsh solo piece, uh, Self-Care. Okay. And I've been doing a lot of other, like, you know, administrative work as part of the PhD, applying for money for the composers, you know, booking mm -hmm. or trying to book the, the performances and all this. But then I have also, although it's been mainly online on Zoom, I've spent a lot of effort developing the pieces and workshopping them and practicing them to you know with the composers or to play it for the composers mm -hmm. um, online so, so although also you know i didn't have any um proper performances live i i had a lot of I had a lot of things on my plate that i actually needed to do so i i was mm -hmm. um i didn't find a lack of motivation luckily Mm -hmm. But of course, it was kind of a setback when the planned sort of the planned premieres of the of the new pieces yeah. in my PhD that got cancelled and all that. You know, we've been through that, everybody. So um, 
but I think it really it kept me sort of it kept the steam going uh, that that I had this project or still have it. Uh, and mm -hmm. and the agreements with the composers were all set, uh, and and we had these deadlines to work for. So. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm I'm curious now when the actual performances start happening, and of course, then you know with Corona postponements and uh, rescheduling, I also have. I would say it's a bad planning now, but that's just impossible to avoid. But you know, uh, projects that collide mm -hmm. over the summer and the autumn, yeah, so yeah. it's uh, it's going to be a tough or an exciting, let's say, uh, <laughs> and energetic start to the new year. Great. No, it's really great that, you know, all of the coordinators who I talked to, also on the podcast, all of them said that, you know, although, of course, unfortunately, all the performances got cancelled and everything, they still had so much stuff to do that was, you know, kind of piled up there. Mm. But you, you didn't really have the time or the mental space to deal with it. Mm. And when you are kind of forced to do that, then you start actually doing all of that work that needed to be done and mm. you're still in the loop you're still going you're still yeah yeah like active and doing stuff so yeah no it's it's really great i have to admit though that you know i i thought because i have a big pile of repertoire that i'd love to learn and play you know but uh, and never have time to or not yet you know to sit down and, and start learning and i thought mm -hmm. now with the lockdown i should you know i should just start learning you know whatever uh, this and that but without any like any specific end result like a concert or recording of it i had a hard time finding the motivation for that i must admit you know uh, just sitting I, down and learning repertoire for quote, yeah. uh, no reason unquote i completely agree saying the same thing here like i had this folder mm -hmm in which I have all of the pieces that I would really love to play someday. And, you know, like if somebody were to tell me we need you to play this concert with this piece in like three months, I'll be sitting there immediately, like practicing yeah. this piece because that gives me the motivation. But as you're saying, without an end goal and actually seeing like the, the actual results of you know, mm. this happening, like you're sitting there and thinking like, what's, what's the point? Yeah. It's not to say that, you know, the motivation for the music is of course there, but it's just when, when you don't have the, if you don't need to spend the time, then all of these other tasks that have been piling up, they suddenly just, you know, there's always something you should do because that, you know, because you're already past the deadline for that. If, you know, it could be an application or whatever. Um, yeah. And then it just feels difficult to yeah, postpone mm -hmm. that even longer to, to learn repertoire that you don't necessarily have a concert for yet. Yeah, no, the priorities change because sure. yeah. Which yeah. which is fine because as yeah. long as you have stuff to do that's that keeps you active. That's and as long as you have that folder with you know music that you really, really want to oh, learn, yes. that's the most important thing, really. Yeah, I completely agree. Because the moment you stop and you say I'm doing this, I don't know. For whatever reason for the money because i don't know what else to do with my life like that doesn't really doesn't make any sense in uh, being probably a, not worth it an artist <laughs> no definitely like no yeah. andres what would be your advice to the i, I want to say young but that, as you said that makes me, me also feel old and uh, <laughs> we are both not that old um well, that's kind of you <laughs> like what Let's say it like this. What would be your advice to a 15 or 16 year old yourself? Like if you were to see your teenage self today, what your advice would be? You mean in accordion terms? <laughs> Whatever. I mean, it can be accordion. It can be also like have a plan B, C, D. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I think in terms of music, I, I would probably have said, don't worry too much. But on the other hand, I'm, I know that the sort of the worry that I've had as a, as, as a, you know, companion for since forever, basically about it has been a tremendous driving force as well. 
So mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't advise myself to just, you know, be completely careless about, uh, you know, thinking of the future and thinking about what, you know, to be starting up projects, uh, sort of, you know, being this entrepreneur that, that basically we all have to be to make a career, or to sort of put together yeah. a, a life that, that functions, you know, with all the different mm -hmm. types of projects and activities that, that is, is and can be part of it. Yeah, I, I'd probably say don't forget to enjoy it. <laughs> and that's very important, a very important advice, because yeah. at, at times I think for many of us, especially during study years, yeah. It feels kind of like a torture and you're really considering like what am i doing yeah. here like why why am i sitting here for six hours in this mm. room alone doing this but if you know musically speaking i would probably i would really say don't forget actually don't forget to enjoy and remember why you're doing it also when you go on stage and you know if if you have problems with uh, concert uh, anxiety and all that and you don't feel that you can ever enjoy then then that's where you should you know put some some effort and then then you know don't don't forget what is music about it you know if you think if 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 the six hours of practicing becomes a purely technical torture then then where is the music you know so yeah. don't forget that music is this tremendous communicating power that just uh yeah creates so many fantastic experiences for both ourselves as musicians and hopefully also for the audience yeah that's such a precious advice and also a precious thought to to consider all the time and remember why we're doing this yeah you know because Perhaps from a, let's call it a capitalistic point of view, we are not that productive for the society, but without us, musicians, music, art in general, like the society would crumble, so. Absolutely. No, it's very important to, to remember. And thank, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, Andreas, is there something you would like to plug? Like, you have lots of amazing CDs which the listeners can find on your website. Um, if you click on the um, description of this episode, you will find the links to oh, nice. Andreas's Vimeo account, to Andreas's website, and where you can find lots of information. But maybe there's something that you would really like to kind of plug and uh, promote. Mm in the near future? Well, uh, in the new future, uh, in the near future, which might also be a new future, who knows? I'm, I'm looking very much forward to two things uh, in particular. One is the next collaboration with Jennifer Walsh, which is a kind of concerto for wow. Sinfonietta uh, nice. and, and myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 she's working on it intensely now and it's, it's just going to be fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure of it. That much. I'm sure. So that'll, it. that'll premiere uh, in the middle of September at the Ultima Festival in Oslo. And right before that, like a week before, I'm doing a project with a fantastic Polish Baroque ensemble called Arte mm. dei Sonatori, which I'm also, I've been working on for, for a couple of years, but it's also been postponed and cancelled and all this. But finally, we have this little tour in Denmark going on where I get to perform two of Bach's um, harpsichord concerti with them. Wow. And that's also something that lies very close to my heart. So yeah, that, it's going to be a, a tremendous September, which I look forward to. I hope the Bach will be, it should be, um, broadcast uh, in the Danish radio. So at some point I can mm -hmm. hopefully link on social media to that. Yeah. So if any of our listeners are living in Denmark, <clears throat> make sure to catch Andres's performances. Which concerts are you doing? Uh, which of the concerti by Bach? The A major and the G minor. Gorgeous. A major is my all-time favorite. Oh, nice. 
yeah I, I played it once with an orchestra here in well not here in Italy but yeah absolutely gorgeous Andreas thanks again a lot for taking your time uh being on the podcast it has been an immense pleasure and I can't really wait to meet you in person and have a coffee together likewise and thank you so much for inviting me thank you for listening to everything accordion Tune in in two weeks' time for another episode of the podcast. Future episodes will feature information about the different types of accordions, how they work, curiosities, as well as many prominent colleagues who will talk about their experiences, their projects, and their view on the accordion in the past, today, and in the future. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends, colleagues, and on social media. If you would like to support the show, you can become a supporter on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of the episode and it will direct to my Patreon channel where you can become a cool, awesome or VIP level patron or you can donate whichever amount you would like in exchange for exclusive content, polls, behind the scenes moments, music, concerts and much more. Thank you again for listening.